Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Amen and amen. Praise the name of the Lord. I hope we can all hear me. Hear me. Lord, Father, yes, Father, we give you praise. Thank you very much, Director Nonso. God bless your hearts. Can we just be going to celebrate Jesus in our tongues? All right, with, with a new tongue and just begin to thank him and worship and exalt his holy name by praying in other tongues. In the name of Jesus, Father Lord, we welcome you into our midst tonight. Welcome you into our midst tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together again around your word we'll never get tired of receiving from your word we'll never get tired of hearing from you we'll never get tired of drinking from your cistern lord we are grateful lord we are grateful can we just celebrate him in tongues and we just worship him in tongues let's honor him adore him and give him thanks in tongues this evening father we welcome you into our midst we say take over Take control, take over my vocal cords, take over my thinking faculties, take over every part of my conscious and subconscious, especially all the faculties involved in communicating your word to your people tonight. Lord, I do not want to speak of myself, but as I hear, I want to speak. I want to speak as an oracle of God in the name of Jesus. I ask that everyone under the sound of my voice, as they begin to hear and subject their you know, gates, their ear gates, to the infiltration of God's word, that their hearts are edified, strengthened, encouraged, lifted through the teaching of your word and the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Everyone here, in the name of Jesus, their hearts are open to receive the now word into their lives. Today, many people will find answers in the name of Jesus, things that they've been trying to hack over all these months, over all these years. Thank God for the wisdom of God that will be available here in tonight's service. It will answer a specific question in their lives, things that they can relate with, things that they can apply immediately, especially in their work, in their family, in the mundane, quote-unquote, things of their lives. They will be able to apply this principle of God's word, and it will, it will reap for them a massive harvest of results in the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise, for in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Let's have a very loud amen in the chat room. You may want to type it and just type your amen in there. Amen and amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are we excited to be here today? Are we excited to be here today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the very warm welcome. Um, I'm very grateful. Thank you. God bless your heart. Thank you very much. Okay, so by God's grace, we'll continue from where we left off last week, where we began to explore dimensions of, you know, the spirit of excellence as exemplified in the life and ministry of Daniel. Um, one of the things that I said last week, which was really profound, is the fact that um, a lot of times we are very quick to point out the fact that, you know, this guy was relevant across dispensations, which is one of the biggest pointers to the fact that God was with him. However, that cannot be, can we still hear me? Shows that um, I'm connecting. Okay, thank you. I hope we can still hear me. Fantastic. Thank you, Esther. You know, um, which is, 
a pointer to the fact that God was with him. You know, the fact that it was relevant across dispensations was relevant with Nebuchadnezzar, with Belteshazzar, with Dairus, and with Cyrus. And then you see that kind of a person, you're like, wow, such an excellent person. But that cannot be the basis of our contemplation and our attachment of Daniel with the spirit of excellence. Because we know a lot of people, especially within the Nigerian political system, who have been in the senatorial seats for the past 20 years, 15 years. Does it mean they are also, quote and unquote, excellent men? Does it mean that they are, you know, excellent men because they've been the minority leaders of their people and they're also representatives for the past two decades? Does it mean that they are excellent people? And that's why, you know, we, we cannot afford to be distracted by just the front end in that sense, that something looks excellent on the outside. It does not mean it is produced by an excellent spirit because, you see, we must define excellence by its spirit. We don't define the spirit by excellence. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the sort of conundrum that we find ourselves sometimes. There is a way the world has described excellence. So we see excellence as something that is of high quality, something that is very expensive, something that is very neat, something that is very, you know, lush and royal. We say, ah, that's a very excellent house. That's a very excellent, you know, excellently dressed person. And somehow or the other, we've sort of limited excellence to be something that is very appealing aesthetically. You see, you cannot afford to fall into that foible because we don't define the spirit by excellence. We define excellence by its spirit. So if the spirit that births a type of aesthetically appealing um, expression, if that spirit is not excellent, then it is not an excellent expression. Do you see? Because if you look at the devil, the Bible says he appears as an angel of light. That is, you will see the devil and you would almost say, what an excellent angel this guy is. But he has just transformed himself into an angel of light. That is, even though he sounds like a Gabriel, he sounds like a Michael, he sounds like what the angel of God should be saying. But this guy, the spirit behind all of this impressive oratory is really not excellent. We know of presidents who have one seat by oratory, but we know that it didn't do justice to the very responsibility that being a president commands. Because yes, they were very fantastic with respect to how they communicated their thoughts, but the spirit within them is not an excellent spirit. And that's why we must be very careful not to judge the spirit by what we call excellence, which actually sometimes has been sort of tainted and painted, all right, through the lens of the world, the way we see the world. That's how we are now judging excellence. And that was how, you know, the idea of, oh, this church is a very excellent church became a, a, a mainstream idea. That, ah, it's a very excellent church. You go to the church, everything is new, everything is chassis, ah, nothing is stale. You look at their choir, their clothes every day, you know, and everything is world class, you know, their screens are on point, the, the pastor never repeats his shirt, everything is on point, and, you know, we, we, we assume that that is already excellence, but no, <laughs> excellence must be defined by its spirit, so if the spirit producing a result is not excellent, and that means if it does not pass through the test of consecration, it does not pass through the test of conviction, it does not pass through the text, um, the, the, the test of sanctification and honor, then whatever it is that it produced is not excellent. Remember how that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. He offered a more excellent because of the process that produced it. It was not necessarily in the result per se. 
If you looked at Cain's gift, it may have been nicer. It may have been more attractive. But the process that delivered that gift, the process that delivered that sacrifice was not excellent. So he said, this is not an excellent gift. And so we need to be very careful how we evaluate that concept called excellence. And this is why I've gone through the, you know, the task of exploring dimensions about the life of Daniel that don't look like the typical idea of what excellence should look like. I'm going to the very back end. That is, if Daniel was not relevant across four dispensations, because those kings could not cope with his level of excellence, he will still have been excellent, even though he did not have the type of um, success that we would have termed to be an excellent type of success in our own climes. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So it's important that we pay attention to that. So everything I've been sharing with you is since last last week at the very back end of how this man daniel postured himself in the scheme of things the first thing we examined was the fact that you know babylon as a system they sought to apply strengths rather than mitigate weaknesses on the path to proficiency number two you do not be naive watch what you feed on there cannot be indoctrination without feeding and they cannot be controlled without indoctrination so whoever is feeding you is the one indoctrinating you Whoever is indoctrinating you is the one controlling your life. Do not be naive. All right? Understand leadership. Number three, develop insight-driven convictions. Number four, that was a very lengthy charge. Then number five is become influential. Become influential. That, that is, understand how to influence people. How that it was only Daniel that made the decision in his heart to not eat of the king's meat. But guess what? It was not only him that executed that conviction. That is, there are some people within your circle who should have your conviction as their own command. That is, they don't need to have the conviction like you did. You have the conviction. Tell them what to do. Don't go ahead. Because you have a sort of sort of influence. And that is why I was saying last week that there's no, in, there's no nobility in having no impact. There is no nobility in not being able to influence other people. All right? God will not have a sense of... Um, return on his investment when he knows that whatever he places on you ends with you if you place the anointing on abraham and he knows it will not transcend onto isaac and jacob and onto the ends of the earth and into christ there is no way he would have attempted and gambled with abraham the reason why he placed his bet on abraham is to tell that abraham will command his household after him that is wherever abraham has a conviction conviction becomes a command to a circle of people it was only Abraham that had a nephew who was captured. The rest of the 318 guys in his household, what is their business with Lot, for God's sake? But the moment Abraham said, you know what, I'm going to fight, even if they were going to risk their lives, they were willing to risk it because Abraham had gotten influence over them. And influence is not something you get at gunpoint. That's not influence. That is, Daniel did not go to his company and compel them to be influenced by him. Influence is one of those things that people will have to hand over to you. You can't command and compel people to have you influence their lives. No matter how much of a great guy you are, a boss you are, you pay their salaries, you pay their children's school fees, if people will not give you their loyalty, there is nothing you can do to compel them to give it to you. You can compel compliance, you can compel force, you can compel obedience rather, you can compel compliance by force and by other means, but you can't compel loyalty because it is most evident in the absence of the person to whom you're loyal. All right? And that's not something you can buy on the market. 
and you need you need to become a person that people are willing to submit their loyalty to. All right, just like we found in the life of David and Daniel. Now, we're going to explore the rest of the five, and I think they're very powerful principles that I really believe in my heart that so many people in service tonight are going to find answers to some of the ailing questions in their heart, especially when it comes to their their career, you know, corporate life. All right, I'm going to find a lot of answers tonight. All right, the first thing I'd like to share with you is that you need to have people skills. It's no longer a luxury that, oh, only those who are in the soft skills sort of industry, the pastor pieces of this world. These are the people that should focus themselves and, you know, uh, engage activities that have to be people managing. I'm not just that kind of person. There's nothing like that. I'm not just the kind of person that likes to engage people. Guess what? You are limiting your impact for the kingdom by defining yourself too soon by your inability to connect with people. Because look at the things that Daniel was able to broker. This was a strange guy in a very sophisticated system. But somehow, he was already a power with Melza. Melza was the prince of the eunuchs. This guy was the one that kept the, the people. That is, all the princes that they brought and all the guys that they brought from Israel and from Jerusalem. This was the guy that was in charge of them. And in no time, Daniel was his friend. This was a eunuch in a strange land that worshipped a strange god. That didn't have any affiliations with... That is, if you, if you listed out the interest of Daniel and listed interest of you of the eunuch you may not have found a parallel but somehow daniel was still able to foster a relationship with a guy that was somewhere divert away from his own worldview how many people outside of your comfortable worldview system do you have relationship with working relationship i must say here this guy was able to have a dialogue with a melzer so and, and this is where the devil has won a lot of battles with a lot of christian because the devil has labeled anyone that is in the world as a virus that must be avoided that is you have no fellowship with them in the sense that have none of them as friends have none of them as roommates just avoid them like they are a plague and that's what with the mindset he has placed in you he has also inadvertently limited your influence because the serpent will talk to eve it is eve that does not want to talk to people that the serpent they have talked to before so the world is aggressively evangelizing Christians, but the Christians are not aggressively evangelizing the world because we see the world as people to avoid. Instead of avoiding their value system, you are now avoiding them themselves. They are the occupants of the value system. The intention of your getting close to them is to evict the value system in them so that you can serve them. That's what the devil has mashed both the person they are trying to say and the value system that you should avoid God still loves the person. And there is no way you will be excellent for God in his service in this kingdom, in this kingdom if you avoid people you ought to gravitate towards. And I've also observed that your ability to connect with people of divergent opinions and worldview is a reflection of your intellectual sophistication. And I'm going to say that again. Your ability to connect with people of divergent worldview is a reflection, all right, of your intellectual sophistication. And this is where people need to understand this. A lot of people think, 
someone is intelligent, it means, you know, they are, they are very cocky people. They're very proud. They just like to show off uh, knowledge, but no. It actually takes a tremendous level of humility to expand your worldview to such a point when, when God needs you to connect with someone, there would always be somehow a ground, a basis of connecting with that person. You have expanded your world with such a point that no matter where you find yourself, there will never be a point where you will be too less. That is, you will have no instrument of conversation. There will always be multiple instruments of conversation that you can deploy to anybody. It does not matter what the color of their skin is. It does not matter what they do. It does not matter where they hail from. It does not matter their persuasions or ideologies. You can talk to them. You can engage them in a conversation. You get them to think at the least. You will get them to think. So it's a reflection of a limitation in intellectual sophistication. We just ostracize ourselves and we cast some people aside and we say, these people are not worthy to hear a word from me. You are the one that has not expanded your horizon to be able to include them within your reach. Look at Jesus. There was nobody he eliminated from his circle except those who were vehemently against him in the first place, which are the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. Too far to see, too sad to see. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the hypocrites. These were the people that they couldn't even stand him. Every time they spoke to him was to test him. They were just always edgy around Jesus. They saw him as a threat, so there was no way to connect with them. But every other person that was open to Jesus had a chance with Jesus. They had an audience with Jesus. He spoke with them. He ate in their houses. He could connect with them. There was nobody that was alien from the premise of Jesus. Nobody that he couldn't relate to at a level that they would feel comfortable. This was the story of Daniel. That in spite of his conviction not to defile himself with the king's meat, he at least had a relationship with the chief server of the king's meat. Can you imagine? That is, he did not eliminate the eunuch from the possibility of connection and relationship. Else, he would never have been able to carry out his enterprise the way he did. You must be smart. You must be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. In this kingdom, the only people that will be usable of God, they are people who will expand the horizons of their intellectual sophistication to accommodate a wide variety of types of people. People you never thought existed, but they will put you in the same room and you will still find a way to connect with them. That's what I'm talking about here. Paul found himself in a strange land. He found a way to speak to them. He found himself in Athens. He said, what can I use to connect? He remembered. I read a poem. I wrote, I read about a certain author from this side of the world. And this guy spoke of a certain deity. He spoke in a way as if to allude to something transcendent. Even though he didn't reference the God of, of the Jews. Even though he didn't reference a Christian God. He at least attempted to reference some sort of transcendence this is one that i would employ but connect with the attention of these guys he said that it's one of your poets that says that it is in him we live in it's in him we move it's in him we have our being and they paid him attention there's no proof that they got converted but there's proof that they paid attention and that attention is worth much more than gold for several years down the line who knows i mean they seed in the right direction that will get some people saved but you say, oh, no, this person is not worth my attention. Oh, this person, ah, no, no, he's, he's a sinner. Remember on Sunday we said, judge things, don't judge people. Judge things, don't judge people. Because the moment you start judging people, you have eliminated yourself from the commonwealth of Israel as well. You have said, God is 
shouldn't have had mercy on me either. I'm not deserving of this mercy that you have extended towards me because I'm excluding every other person from that same mercy. And so you must be willing, right? And this is not just talking about Christianity. You know, these people think that, oh, Christian, oh, bless you, brother. Oh, bless you, sister. Or you go to work, and then for the first two hours at work, you are praying in tongues. That's going to get there, all right? Or you gather, you gather your members, or you gather your workers around, and you are praying for the first two hours. That is not the kind of people skills I'm talking about. It's not Christianity or manipulative skills where you know how to manipulate people's emotions, gaslight them, make them feel guilty so that they will now try to do that they need to do you a favor in order to balance the books. All those type of fetish, witchcraft-oriented type of, you know, attitudes. That's not what I'm talking about. about skills. Genuine love for people. Genuine interest in people's interests. Genuine attempt to connect, to desire at least, to connect with people. Understanding that they also carry the very image, the very image of God, just like you do. So it's important to have Muslim friends who are also into fields that are diametrically opposed to your own discipline. Be able to connect with people from a different worldview. Have the capacity to gayfully engage the person with an alien worldview, speak to the sophistication of your intellectual advancement as a person, which is also a proof of humility. That in order to be able to better serve people, you will put yourself under the yoke of learning so that you can develop yourself enough so that you can at least connect to all men at all levels. So Paul said, I became all things to all men. But there were some of the apostles who could only become one thing to a group of people because they were not willing to expand their horizons to be able to accommodate a group that is wider than their own ethnicity. They were not willing to. They were not willing to. They were too proud assume that all of God's oppression on earth will revolve around only their own ethnic group. Haba! You see, so you need to understand that. That's the genius of intelligence. It's genius, all right? Is that intelligence is actually a manifestation of humility, all right? You, you, you believe that God is not, the entire world does not revolve around you, and your own background, and your own language, and your own tribe. You see, it's important. It's important. All right. Daniel had a good relationship with him. a hidden eunuch. All right. It didn't mean that he became a eunuch. It didn't mean that he started to go to the places that the eunuch also went to. It didn't mean that they were watching the same things. It didn't mean that they were consuming the same material. But at least they were friends. They had some common grounds with which they connected and operated. And the eunuch reserved the right for him. The Bible says he found favor with the eunuch. There is an architecture to favor. That's not the day. Today's not the day to talk about that. But there is an there is a way to walk favor. This was apparent in the life of Daniel. It was very obvious in the life of Esther as well. And these were the these are like the chief commanders of that substance called favor, especially Esther. But this is not the night, okay? So it's important that we understand this. He didn't mean he became a eunuch, or that he also bowed to a strange god like the eunuch did. All right, it only meant that while God was working or might be working in the eunuch. He remained a ready vessel around the eunuch to be used of God to be able to put in the seal should God harvest his heart. Aye. But by the time you have alienated him and you have made it look like he's, he's supposed to be ostracized, never to be spoken, how on earth do you intend for the Holy Ghost to speak to him if the only chances of the Holy Ghost talking to him have eliminated him? Remember, Mahatma Gandhi said, I would have become a Christian if I never met one. 
that was the ideology that literally sent the bulk of India, the second largest population in the world, into uh, what, what do you call that now? That is serving multiple gods. Serving multiple gods. Polytheism, that's the word. Polytheism. That is, this man would have literally led the entire India to Christ. If only the people he met in that Christianity that he was now about to join were willing to accept him into their fold and connect with him. They disconnected from him, from him because of the color of his skin. Sounds familiar? Yes. That's, that's how sometimes, you know, very hypocritical we Christians can be. That is how judgmental we can be. That is how tribalistic we can be. And they will say, oh, some people are killing for their faith when we are ostracized in the name of our faith as well. So it's important that we do not, you know, fall prey of that same error. We do not fall prey of that same error. Don't lose such wisdom. All right. The eunuch was within the Babylonian system. Yet Daniel found a creative way to become his friend. Wow. <laughs> Have you received that level of advancement in your people management skills? Where no matter the divergence between a person and you, between a person and your own Christian values, you will find a way to find a leveling ground. You find a way to connect to that person beyond all of your differences. You find the middle ground. Somehow, is the wisdom of God. And look at the likes of Paul. I mean, the likes of Daniel, the likes of Nehemiah. Look at the massive things that God was able to do through their association with heathen kings. Through their associations with heathen officials in the king's court. Nehemiah had such a fantastic relationship with his king that just a, a, a bad day in the office, a day where he was a little moody, his king observed. Kings don't have to look at the faces of the people that serve them. They just look at documents, look at projects. This king looked at Nehemiah's face and observed. Wow. I thought it was usually the other way around. That is, Nehemiah must have served the king to such a point. But the king was obliged to serve him as well. That's what king Number two, which is number seven, all right, in the chronology. Number seven, negotiate everything. Life is not lived. Life is negotiated. Tag your e-neighbor right now and say, life is not lived, my dear. Life is negotiated. Engage, engage, engage. Life is not lived. <laughs> life is negotiated. Oh, dear. I wish I can say that a thousand times over. Life is not lived, life is negotiated. All right? Those who say life is not balanced, it's not designed to be. Thank God for grace. Grace is the leveler. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Whatever you have in life, stop saying it was life that was not balanced. It was not balanced for anybody. But at the end of the day, through your moral agency, the dispensation of wisdom, the capacity to make the best use out of life and take responsibility over the affairs of your life, you are going to be the primary one to receive the credit for the outcomes of your life, not somebody else, not the allocation of life, not the imbalances in life. It will be you that will be responsible for the ultimate outcome of your life, not anybody else. All right? So you must learn to negotiate everything. So we see in the life of Daniel. This guy looked, he saw a crack in the wall. He said, You people want to use me. You know what? Before you use me, I will use you. 
I will use the system that is trying to use me. Oh, dear God. That is this social media that is designed to indoctrinate people with all the passions of the king's meat. How about I now begin to use the system to advance the cause of Christ? It's even the person that is trying to use you has not become a pawn in your own hand because you are using a superior type of wisdom that transcends human understanding. And Daniel began to negotiate. Oh, I like that. He began to negotiate. I'm going to say things like life is not balanced because I'm just merely repeating a rhetoric that I've gotten too many people stuck in life. It has never been balanced, but the grace of God that the grace of God has come to balance everything. The Bible says, when God is born of God, becomes the world, this is the victory that becomes the world in our faith. Life is negotiated. Moreover, you carry an irresistible spirit. This is what the Bible says in Luke chapter 21, verse 15. He says, I will give you a mouth and a wisdom of which none of your adversaries will be able to gainsay or resist you. Imagine God gives you such a power and all you are able to negotiate for is a short life. Imagine that God gives you such a power that he says, I will give you a power and a mouth and a wisdom of which none of your adversaries will be able to gainsay or resist you. And all you can open that mouth to negotiate for is a tiny little change that you will use to keep your life small and soft. No, no. There's a lot more. There's a lot more to it, but negotiation is a skill that is non-negotiable <laughs> for anyone who is God of God in influencing the world for Christ. All right. First thing is that he acknowledged the concerns of Belzer because that's the law of negotiation. You can't come to the negotiation table with only your own ideology and interest. You've got to be able to have a wiggle room, somewhere you can shift, make compromises. This Daniel said, Oh God, I'm not eating this. Said, Oh God, you have to eat it. You will have my head. So we are the stalemate. What must we do? We have to negotiate. So you know what? You know, Daniel said, You know what? You know what? It's fine. Okay, that's fine. Give us 10 days. All right. Yes, I understand that the king will have your head if perpetually we do not take up this thing. You know what? Give us 10 days. If you begin to look worse and worse than the people, then we'll revert to what you want. We'll go back and start eating what, but we know we will not look, we will look better. So don't worry. After 10 days, the king will not have your head because we'll be looking better than the people that you thought will be looking better than us. Do you understand? He was able to negotiate. He created a timeline. He created a win-win so that there will be that level of ease, even from the head of Melza. He was, okay, okay, that's fine. This guy has made some concession. He's not just saying he's not going to eat. He's saying that, you know what? There's going to be a timeline. I'm going to Days I will be observing him, I'll see what, what went on, and then after 10 days, I will reevaluate and see what can happen. All right, how to move this negotiation. I continue to give him the pot and water, or I revert back to the king's meat. All right, he gave Melza a, a, a say. So, negotiation is not all about you having your way all the time. Negotiation is, you know, yes, I have this conviction I should not eat of the king's meat. But it will not just happen like that. You just say, I will not eat of the king's meat. Everybody will just bow their head to you and say, Yes, my lord, you will not eat of the king's meat. No! There will be resistance. Sometimes this resistance can be negotiated. This resistance can be negotiated. You've got to have the level of intellectual sophistication, which I'm referring to again. To be able to make, find middle grounds, to be able to make allowances and compromises. Life is not easy. He acknowledged the, the concern of Melzer to make a compromise that was not just a compromise that was timeless. It was a compromise that had a timeline that gives Melzer a sense of consideration. He made his request, the other party made a counter offer, but he was willing to make some compromises. 
that the relationship he had with Melza afforded him. That is, he was able to exploit his relationship with Melza. That is, if it was somebody else, he may not have had the luxury of that negotiation. So now that you have the relationship with the king, how about you negotiate? The relationship is not for waste. If you have a relationship with the king, and you have been praying for you for the past three days, how about you step into the king's court? Even though the king did not call for you, how about you negotiate? Show up and negotiate. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord God Almighty. You gotta learn to negotiate everything. You don't get paid what you deserve. You get paid what you negotiate. Did you hear that? You don't get paid what you deserve. You get paid what you negotiate. <laughs> you don't get paid what you deserve at work. You get paid what you negotiate. And what you negotiate is a function of what you believe you deserve based on the gifting that you have come to acquaint yourself with. We'll listen to the next one. Numbers. Okay, we've okay, number eight now. Number eight, agree with your giftings. Agree, agree with your giftings. This is another area where a lot of Christians have been shortchanged. The devil makes it look like whenever you're manifesting your gift, you are being proud. So whenever you're singing, you know, and you hear the MD singing and she's doing all the ad libs and all the woo 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 and how's it good? Proud. No, the manifestation of a gift is not pride. For you to recognize someone's gift, I think the person is proud. You have a low inferiority, or rather you have a low self-esteem and a very poor um, reflection of your own self, or perception of your own self. That you see a gift manifesting. And the first thing it tells you is that you are there's you, the person is proud, the person is trying to intimidate you. It's because you've not gotten acquainted with your own gift as well. That's why you're feeling that way. The manifestation of a gift is not pride. Actually, it's humility as well. And I'm going to explain to you. Imagine I have a child in the house who is growing and he has grown to a point where he can begin to do some things within the house with his hands and, you know, he can help out. He can help with the dishes. He can help with his own school uniforms and wash and stuff like that, clean, sweep. And then he gets to that age where he can literally deploy his physical capacities in helping and contributing to the welfare of the house. Right in a meaningful way, and then he says, No, I'm going to continue to lift up the contribution and the giftings of everybody that had been grown before me, and I'm going to just continue to leave the soft life because I'm not interested in deploying my gift to balance out the economy and contribute in a way that is meaningful. That person is the one that is proud, He's the one that is feeling entitled and self-conceited, who is not willing to contribute own gifting and his own quarter to the entire economy to serve the saints, to serve the people of God. That's the person that needs to be addressed and rebuked, not the one who is, quote-unquote, enslaving himself to the service of the kingdom of God. Who will who will give his eyes no sleep? Who will go for rehearsals on Fridays and Saturdays to come early on Sundays? And he's doing all that, not because he's paying him or but because he or she just wants to be able to serve his gift. The person who is slaving, quote unquote, reading the Bible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, meditating day and night, so that he is isn't not as one who has only one destiny to get to, but the destiny of every superstar that hears him on a Sunday morning. That's the person who is serving his generation according to the will of God by deploying his gift. That's the person who is humble. Not the one who sits and just allows his gift goes to atrophy. It is uh, it is robbery to God 
Because it is God that gives you in the first place. It is robbery of yourself. And you're not manifesting that for which you are supposed to be deployed. And it is robbery to the world. Because the world will not get a chance of seeing all the amazing things that are packed into you. It is a robbery at every level. You are robbing God. You are robbing yourself. You are robbing the world. Just because you are too shy to express it. Daniel understood that if I don't express my gift, some astrologers will die. This is not a matter of, oh, I want to show myself, I don't want to show myself. This is a matter of life and death. If you will keep that gift in a sheet, you will keep it inside, you know, you know the call that, that's why you put the sword inside the sheet, right? When you keep that your gift and that which God has given you as a sword, to cut pieces and to cut asunder the mass of Dagon, right in the battlefield of life. If you will keep it in your sheet, some people will die. So the expression of your gift is not a matter of fanciful words. It's not a matter of trying to feel yourself. It's a matter of life and death for, for the people you were designed to serve. If those people never get served your gift, they may not survive it. So it is in love for them and it is in service to humanity that you commit to discovering your gift and not discovering it, deploying it. This is the spirit of excellence. Is the spirit of love. Oh dear God. The Bible says that love is the most excellent way. It's the most excellent way. Remember, you don't judge the excellence by the you don't judge the spirit by the excellence. You judge the excellence by its spirit. And that spirit must be conditioned by love. For hope makes shame for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Agree with your giftings. Praise the name of the Lord. It's important. So when you, the next time you have the opportunity to serve in a local assembly, it's an opportunity to deploy your gift. I promise you. There is no time you are serving in the local assembly that you are not gaining more than you are giving. Higher. People think that when you are serving in the local assembly, you are just giving. No, you are gaining far more than you are receiving. Most of the things that I do today, everything I was trained in the band of God. Nobody and the opportunity to serve. That's how you continue to That's it. I was already a leader in school before I went for DLA. And those things were to just cement the things I already knew because there were already minimum or lower factors of pressure from teenagers, from children's school, from, you know, Context of the service to saints. It is within that context your your gift will come alive. It is within that context. So if you're in church, all right, this is a charge to you. If you're in church and you've been in church for the, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and you've not been serving, all right, that's wrong. Because it's when you serve, your gift will come alive. When your gift come, comes alive, you can deploy it more, and you can save more souls. You can serve more people. Very important. All right. So please agree with your. Nine it and say, Oh no, 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 nah, you know, I'm not that good. Ah, 
if God says you're that good, you better start deploying yourself. Praise the name of the Lord. So we are on number nine now. Praise God. Number nine. Number nine. Measure everything. I'm going to stay here for a bit because I, I remember God gave us this word last year. Measure everything. How did the Babylonian system? Oh, wow. This is one of the things that really, that really, you know, wowed me the most about the Babylonian system. They have a way of measuring everything. Because the terminology, the adjectives they were using, they, it was with, a res with respect to some certain metrics. They said, okay, so listen, after a few days, check us out, 10 days, you will see that we are looking better. And they evaluated them after 10 days, they saw that they were indeed better. Then later on, they evaluated their knowledge base and their, their, their skills level and all of those things, and they realized that they were 10 times better. How were they able to, they measured everything. Last year, the Lord told us, chapter 19, he says, listen, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. The Lord God just showed me the link between wisdom and numbering. If you do not number it, you cannot improve it. If you cannot improve it, you cannot generate results after the God kind. But recent Bible says that wisdom is justified by her children. It is the results that wisdom bears that gives us the validation that it was wisdom in the first place. Wisdom cannot just be talking. Wisdom is evidence. Wisdom is evidence-based. Do you see? And the Bible says, teach us to number, then we can apply our hearts to wisdom. That is a strong link to wisdom and to the manifestation of the spirit of wisdom is measurement. Measurement. Metrics. Measure everything. Measure everything. Now, there are so many artistic qualities that you say, ah, this thing is hard to measure. How can you measure beauty? But guess what? Some people, because you know, the Lord told me, he said, everything is binary. Everything. Fire. Everything is binary. Everything. And it's even water. They're like, ah, what can you measure water in ones and zeros? Even water has molecules. Everything is binary. Everything is in ones and zeros. Everything can be measured. Because you wonder, how did they see that these guys were weightier, were fresher, were finer? They measured it. How did they know they were more intelligent? They measured it. How did you know these things? It was measured. You wonder how people were able to somehow or the other develop softwares that would create a sort of filter on Snapchat, on Instagram, and all of those applications that would make a lady finer. How did they convert the concept, a very subjective concept of beauty, into ones and zeros? It is because everything at the end of the day is measurable. Everything. It does not matter the field. It is measurable. You must break it down for ones and zeros. Else, you cannot assess that field. You can't assess that process. You can't assess that result. So it does not matter the field of anybody you find yourself. Say, ah, this one is an artistic field. You can, that wall work of art that you think that I say is this art, you can measure it in ones and zeros. How better is this compared to another work of art somewhere in the world? Because if you do not learn to do that, you really cannot start a trajectory of improvement. You can't. Gotta measure everything. That's what made Babylon the most sophisticated era, or rather the most sophisticated civilization in their era. Praise the name of the Lord. Because you wonder how, how, how did they condense, literally condense the concept of beauty into ones and zeros? What else looks so subjective? You can't add this guy's point, ah, it's a subjective thing. You can measure it. There is nothing you cannot measure. So whatever business you are doing, the, the challenge is that you're not measuring it. So the woman who is selling like her on the street, the reason why she's been on that same spot for the past 10 years, because she's really measuring anything. 
He's just using eco. He's using street smartness. So the money that comes into her, she does not know the one that is crop. She does not know the one that is profit. She does not know the one that is direct. She does not know the one that is transportation to the market. She carries the same thing to her to go back to school. By the time she needs to go and buy beans again, she has to borrow and then pay it back. Everything is modeled up. Nothing is measuring anything. That's why she's not making the profits. She's not able to able to track, she's not able to follow the numbers. There is no business that can survive without measurement. You can't. It does not matter the kind of field you work in. If you do not measure, there is no future. There's no future. There's no future. It's the spirit of excellence. Measure everything. Even after Jesus was done, you know, feeding the 5,000, he said, count the baskets. We don't know what he did with them, but he said, count it. Why? Why? Measure everything. Put them in 50s. Ah, measure everything. You can't be someone who is just very careless about things. How many hours are you spending on that social media? Measure everything. How many hours are you spending behind your books? Measure everything. Don't be some, because guess what? If you are not measuring it, you are not living a wise life. Simple mm -hmm. as that. Because it's only those that are taught to number that can apply their hearts to wisdom. Only that taught to number can apply their hearts to wisdom. There is a strong connection between numbering and wisdom. Very strong one. Very strong one. Now, number eight. Number ten. Don't be afraid to put pressure on the miraculous. That is important. Don't be afraid to put pressure on the miraculous. This is the spirit of excellence that Daniel exemplified. Daniel had the habit of making God in commitment. But it also the dimension of certainty that Daniel had come into when it comes to his relationship with God. He said to Eunuch, he said, prove now thy servant. Listen, we're speaking to a hidden audience. You blocking God out of your mouth every moment does not spiritualize the moment. And this is the mistake a lot of Christians make as well. You want to make a presentation, you are in front of a board of members, you are in front of the government, you are in front of a board, and then you're just mentioning God, 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 any small thing, Jesus, God will help us in by the grace of God. We will make sure we deliver on this project. You will be eliminated. They, they, they will just slap you away from the panel. You are not going to be considered. It's just the truth. The truth is this it is you they know. Nobody cares about God on that panel. It is you they know. Do not plaster God on mediocrity. Can you do the job? Now tell them that you will get the job done. Then go and tell God about a fight I've already enlisted for. You enroll for the fight on his behalf. He has to show up. He's the one that you enrolled on his behalf, but it was you that you, it was your name, which is you they know. But you know in the secret that it was God that you were literally enlisting and enrolling for that fight. Are you hear what I'm saying? It's you they know. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to put yourself out. It is you they know. Stop saying it's not in God, Jesus. In a project that is ones and zeros designed. There are technical terms to use, but you say by the grace of God, you, you shall want them to know that you have been dipped inside the blood, but that's not how you show it. The result first. By the time the results will come and they how did you do this? You say, actually, it's the grace of God. Then the phone will enter. And you tell them that actually, it's not just the son of Gideon. It's the son of both God and Gideon. We possess this man by our own sword, by our own word. What the maintenance of God that broke out of that is where your testimony is valid. That's when it has weight. Not at the point where you are yet to collect, yet to collect the project. I've used God to bastardize everything. Later now, don't do the job well. You have embarrassed not just 
touch yourself. You have embarrassed me too. I'm your pastor. You have embarrassed me. You have embarrassed God. You have embarrassed your, your ministry. Because you just kept mentioning God. Actually, I'm a winner. You know, in, in this year, we are going to win by the grace of God. Uh, what's that, that thing that we had uh, in winners a couple of years ago? Um, and my case is my case is different, something like that. You know, and you use all those themes just to sort of almost bully them to accepting your proposal if they have any form of religious affiliations so that they can just by just win just give you that is not how that's not how god is glorified did not mention god he just went he said okay it was prove your servant it is your servant if you don't show up you are dead all right so you speak to a hidden audience, you don't need to be loving God. Joseph did not mention God in his conversation with Pharaoh. He spoke in terms that Pharaoh could understand. He, he spoke in a language that Pharaoh could, he didn't speak in tongues. He spoke Naira and Kobo, ones and zeros. He gave a, a blueprint, a, a strategic project plan that will restore Egypt and place them back at the forefront of, of leadership in the, in the world. It wasn't just talking things that you know they couldn't relate to. This is you they know. You they know that you don't know God. That's the assumption. So deliver first. Tell your neighbor, deliver first. <laughs> Praise God. Tell your neighbor, deliver first. Deliver. And come and put God inside because that's the only thing that God deserves is excellence. After I've done delivering on that job, then God will now, all right, God will now be proud of you. Okay, that's how it's. It is you that know, and go to your city and let God know you have a room for your friends to be out, and He has to show up. That's it. He has to deliver it. When the results begin to speak for themselves, and the people begin to ask you, How did you do this in such a short time? How did you get this done? This is a mind blowing. This is amazing. Then be quick. It's not me. It is God. But don't put His name on the strength of mediocrity. All right. Don't start with, Oh, it is God, it's God, and then you don't deliver anything. Number 11. All right, number 11. Be comfortable before royalty. This is important. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Says that a man that is diligent in his works, right, in his business, he shall stand before kings and not before mean men. The lack of ease you display before royalty is a reflection of one thing lack of diligence. If you are diligent in your works, you have knowledge, you have life, you have understanding. You speak before anybody, you are confident to shine. That's what the Bible teaches. Don't ever be faced by the possibility of meeting with victory. Don't be intimidated by the problems of royalty. You are royalty yourself. I'm even a better royalty than they. You are more glorious than any type of royalty or, or dignitary. Remember that Jesus, before Pilate, he told him, he said, oh God, my royalty is far superior than your own. If the people that belong to my kingdom were here, <laughs> you guys would be talking. I have more than 12 legions. I can come and erase this place in, in a second. Oh, no, no, no. My people will not come and fight because my kingdom is not of me. His royalty, he was not anxious. He knew that Pilate could release him. If he played the card of, oh, ah, sacrifice, ah, Pilate, ah, come on. Mm -mm. The confidence that he exuded was so powerful. It was before earthly royalty because he was a divine royalty. No ounce of anxiety in front of him, no fear, no intimidation. Praise the name of the Lord. It's important, um, but you can't be that comfortable for royalty if you have not meditated on your own heritage. If you don't even know who birthed you, you don't know the gods that carry that you carry his DNA, you don't know the person that gave birth to you. The one
ordained you, predetermined you, made you, you know, made you into who he has made you to be, gave you the gifts and the talents that you have. How would you be able to stand before a king and not be intimidated? Look at these guys, Daniel, Joseph, Ezra, Nehemiah, Paul. These guys were audacious before anybody. They don't do all that stuff. They'll go to a king and then they're just trying to please the king. You are there for a job. Get the job done. The king by himself will ask for your number. Praise the name of the Lord. You get nervous at first. Okay, of course, sometimes I get nervous as well. So this is not, you know, proof of <laughs> that, you know, some places you get to, you're like, hey, God, am I supposed to be here? But you, you remind yourself of the things you've always known. All right? Turn that nervousness into the right. Turn it. Turn it right on the wave of that nervousness, all right, into boldness and audacity. Praise the name of wear your crown with dignity. Tell your neighbor again, wear your crown with dignity. Wear your crown with dignity. Don't be intimidated by anybody. And number 12, understand that there is competitive advantage in being a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is compet real competitive advantage. These guys were fairer, fatter, better. They looked better than those that were eating from the king's portion. They were better. Then in terms of knowledge and wisdom and, and intellectual sophistication, they were 10 times better. Not just the only, not only over their contemporaries, but over and above all the astrologers and magicians in the entire realm. Wow. That is being a disciple, following your convictions, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, doing what the word of God says to you, spending time in the Holy Ghost, Anytime praying, reading your Bible, these things have real competitive advantage. Real ones. So the reason why a lot of us have not been seeing so many of these news about Christians doing great things is because of these sacred cows that I've been mentioning. How that we eliminate ourselves from the conversation when other people are involved and we say, Oh, I'm just on the highway to heaven. So how about you just go fall down and die when you got born again? So you can go to that heaven quicker. If you are here on earth and God kept you here, it's because he wants you to have contact without contamination. Stop avoiding connecting with people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right? Engage in intellectual discourse and conversations. Praise the name of the Lord. And then get into those spaces. Demonstrate all these 12 tenets of excellence as demonstrated by Daniel. You will be surprised the level of influence you begin to have. You'll be surprised how much more your bosses are willing to trust you over and above people that are not saved because you are demonstrating these things at a high level. These were the things that produced the transcendence and the consistent influence of Daniel across all dispensations. This is the back end. He was not looking for influence across this. That was, he was not looking for that. But this was that I just explained to you. These were the things within his purview of control. He could do those things because he was a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this is in the context for you now as a new Christian, uh, as a new creation believer, right? You're a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there is a real competitive advantage. That is, if they look at you and they look at someone that is not following Christ, they should be able to see that you're looking better, fairer, fatter. They should be able to tell that your life is better. Your family is more stable. Your finances are not all over the place. There is a real competitive advantage, all right? to being a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope this has blessed your heart, and I hope you found answers to some of the questions you brought into this service this evening. I pray that we are establishing this truth and all righteousness in Jesus' name. Thank you for having me. God bless your hearts. I love you. Cheers. Wow, what a word. 
For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Pop Point Tribe.